What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this episode, well, we have a bonus episode here, and we're going to be talking to Joe Latari. Now, we're talking to him about War for the Planet of the Apes, and specifically the VFX, but if you've gone through Joe's IMDb, his first project ever was Star Wars A New Hope, and he's won multiple Oscars for King Kong, Avatar, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, The Return of the King... And when we started interviewing him, he was actually nominated again for an Oscar for War for the Planet of the Apes. So he's got quite a resume and we're excited to interview him. So here's my interview with Joe Latari. My first question for you would be, when you receive a script for something like War for the Planet of the Apes, what is it that you look for from a VFX perspective? Well, actually, let me take you back to Rise because that was really the first script that I got. And Fox sent it wondering, you know, how would you do this? How would you update, you know, the whole story, you know, from the original films? And I was a big fan of the original films, and I was really excited by what I read in the draft because I thought it was a really smart way to reinvent the series, you know, to take it from modern day and doing it in a way where what Caesar was doing, what the apes were doing, it wasn't really, you know, anyone's fault. Even the fact that it was the hubris of the humans was really more kind of out of an altruistic vision. And so I just really like the story. And that's always the first thing you look for is the story, because then you start thinking about, you know, how you get engaged and how you want to do it. And, you know, from there, then we started thinking about how do we do the apes? And because the story called for apes to start as they are, you know, in, in modern day, uh, you know, the opening scene shows us out in the jungle with poachers, you know, capturing apes. We knew that we would have to do them digitally because we had to create believable apes that could handle the evolution in the story from contemporary apes to, you know, gathering intelligence as they go. So that means pretty early on, we locked on the idea of doing digital apes. And then because Caesar was the main character, we really started thinking about an actor who could play the role. And my first thought was always to go to Andy Serkis because Andy is so great at playing characters like this. And I pitched that to Fox and they liked the idea as well and approached Andy and he was you know, happy with the story, really liked it as well and came on board. So that's when everything started to gel. And then the final piece of the puzzle for us was having worked with Andy so many times in the past where we did performance capture after the fact, you know, after he, he played his part with the other actors and everybody went home, we asked Andy to come to a motion capture stage and watch what he did and try to do it over again. And I didn't want to ask him to do that this time. I thought, you know, if we could capture what he's doing in the moment, that would be ideal for everyone. So we came up with a way to do performance capture in a live action set. And that was really the breakthrough for the film that began with Rise and then allowed us to go a little bit deeper into the woods for Dawn and then finally for War for Matt Reeves to really take the story out into this really forbidding location. But we were still able to shoot everything live there and capture the apes there and all the interaction with the other apes and with the humans. So that gave us kind of the blueprint for how we put the three films together. Okay. Now, one of the things that's really important for you as a VFX artist is going to be creating an emotional connection with these digital creatures. So I'm wondering, how do you go about creating emotion and empathy and connecting us to the characters through your VFX work? Right. So the performance capture aspect of it 
really is, as the name implies, you're recording the performance of what the actors are doing. We've got cameras set up all around the stage to record body movement. We've got head cameras on the actors to record their facial expression. So that gives you as much as possible the information of what the actors were doing. But we then have to take that and translate that to the ape character. And it's not an automatic process. There, this is where the artistry comes in, of looking at an actor's performance, understanding what about an ape we can use that's similar and also what's different and how we could use that to our advantage to still convey the emotion that we want. Just as a simple example, apes have a different body structure than we do, shorter legs and longer arms. So if an actor is in a pose, you know, delivering a line against a human or something like that, the ape that we put in will be in a slightly different body position. The hips will be slightly different, the shoulders will be slightly different, which means the head's slightly different. So we have to adjust it all so that you still get the same body language that the actors are delivering throughout the performance. And on top of that, we have to do the same thing with the face. We look at what's similar, and there are similarities, but there are also big differences between apes and humans. There's differences around the eyes. You know, apes' eyes are deeper set in their sockets, uh, and the muzzles are really extruded and not really well-built for dialogue. So we made a couple of, you know, small adjustments, especially to Caesar, to shorten his muzzle a little bit, to give him room for a slightly more human dialogue because we knew he'd be speaking more and more. And we then look at Andy Serkis's performance, using Andy as an example, frame by frame, and try to understand the emotion. You know, looking at what's happening on his face, try to infer what's happening under the skin, where the tension is, where the muscles are being fired. And we then translate that to the apes by first off just firing the same muscles and seeing what you get, and then looking at places where it doesn't read the same just because of the difference in the biology. And that's where we start making adjustments to different aspects of the performance so that when you look at it side by side, you look at the same performance. You know, it's what Andy's doing. It's his emotion. It's beat for beat what you are getting from the live action performance. But it's not a mechanical translation. You know, if you looked at it pixel to pixel, there are differences, and those are the differences that we have to kind of work our way through to get that translation to, to still feel emotionally the same. I mean, there's so much that you've done with translating these characters from Andy to the apes, or from the other actors to the apes, but it sounds like you have a very deep understanding of the muscles and how the face works for the apes. Did you work with a zoologist to study the apes and get this translation working? No, we really just started doing that on our own as far as what's going on, you know, so to speak, under the skin, just looking at what, what research was out there and mostly looking at ape expressions that we just found from looking at lots of photos, looking at an ape skull, you know, fitting the face around it, and then trying to infer how those muscles must be laid out to do the same thing. You know, the idea of how facial muscles move the human face is not well understood at all. And, and so there's even less research about that for ape faces. So we had to kind of work that out on our own. We did work with the zoologists for the overall uh, realism of the apes. We got the Wellington Zoo uh, in Wellington, New Zealand, where we're based, has a troop of chimps, and they let us spend a lot of time, you know, filming them and recording them and really getting to know them because they are very social animals. They all have their own personality. They all interact in a way that 
feels human but obviously has their own social characteristics. And we tried to capture all that. We took a lot of that video and shared it with the actors, and they went through exercises of trying to understand what that behavior was and to mimic it. And then we use that for any kind of, you know, animation adjustments or, you know, sometimes the apes are just have to be completely keyframed. They're not played by a performer because of whatever reason, you know, stunt or danger or, or what have you. So we'll take these things on board and try to make it as ape-like as possible. Now, one of the things that really connected us with the apes as viewers, or at least me, (laughs) was the eyes and how real they felt, especially for a character like Maurice, who's doing sign language throughout the film. So how did you guys go about translating the human eyes to ape ones and, and making them so communicative? Well, yeah, the eyes are built biologically to mimic apes' eyes, which are, you know, very close to human eyes in the way they're structured. And so they're actually just finely detailed models with all the fibers and correct, you know, layers of tissue in the eyes and and the fluid and everything that will respond to light in the way that a real eye would. And then the movements of the eye, both the large movements and the micro movements are all movements that we get from observing the actors. So in the case of Maurice, it would be Karen Conival, just watching what she's doing and just trying to match that expression. And again, just judging the movements that we're creating to see if they're feeling the same way as what we're seeing from Karen. And again, if you look at it side by side, it would look very close to what Karen is doing. If you really analyze it, there are subtle differences that just are adjustments that we have to make to account for, you know, Maurice's face and the structure of it. Now, your brother is a professor at Furman University. Yes. And he specializes in communication. Mm Mm-hmm. And specifically, he focuses on rhetorical and discourse theory and political communication. Yes. Now, this film very much relies on this sort of tension and is very much about communication. So I'm wondering if for this film, if you've learned anything from him that you've used on this film or any other films that you've worked on. No, that's a great question. And we've had, you know, discussions along similar lines just regarding human communication and rhetoric. But no, I couldn't bring him into this because of, you know, the requirements of the film. But yet we did sort of talk about it afterwards because you do use some of the same signs and signals to communicate in a human way what the apes are doing. There's two extremes there. Like when we started off doing this, especially back on Rise, we realized that if you just started like having an ape expressing himself as a human, especially with dialogue, it looked like a man in a monkey suit. Mm -hmm. And we didn't want that. We wanted a more believable, you know, ape behavior. Um, But if you go too far the other way, if you really study ape expressions, you know, like when an ape smiles, they have kind of a grimace that actually looks frightening. So you don't (laughs) want that either. I was mentioning before the, the kind of artistry comes in of adapting and creating a new vocabulary for the apes that bridges the gap between the two. And then this is something that we work out with, you know, Andy Serkis and with Matt Reeves, the director. Like you'll notice as they start to talk, it's really forced because apes don't really have the, the vocal cords for speech. But at the end of the first film, Caesar's kind of forced to get out that big no and then you know, he has one more line at the end. On the second film, they start off and they're all signing again because they're off in their own little tribe. When the humans come up, suddenly there's a necessity for speech because the communication becomes more urgent. So they're starting to force 
this communication. And it's not just with the humans, even Caesar and Koba, when they start having their disagreement, are actually speaking to each other. And we carried that through into this film, where every time the apes utter uh, a sentence, it really feels like they're having to figure out how to make those words as they go. And it gives it a realism that bridges that gap between, you know, human language and what apes are really capable of. One thing that came about in my research was that Matt Reeves wanted an Exodus feel, you know, referencing the Bible. And I'm wondering how you showed that in your VFX. Well, there are a couple of things there. One was Matt's decision to use the Alexa 65 to get some of those big, you know, widescreen vistas. And even though you only had a few shots of the large bulk of the apes, you had those nice shots of, of Caesar and his troop and some of those amazing vistas. So you got the feel that way. And then there, of course, was the prison camp, which, you know, was probably owes a little bit more to war movies than to, you know, Exodus itself. But there is still that whole feeling of being imprisoned and laboring and wanting your freedom. So that was some of the ideas, I think, that Matt was working into it. One of the things that's always blown me away with VFX is the constant change in software and the constant evolution of techniques and ideas. And I'm wondering how you keep up with the software evolving and yet still keep focused on the art. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, no, we develop the tools. That's part of what we do. The art and the technology go hand in hand, as they really always have done until probably recent years where it's become convenient to separate the two. But we're still at the stage where we have to design and build the tools that we need to create the image that we, that we want to create. You learn how to use the tools and that becomes your technique. And then once you become fluent in the technique, that's where you have the freedom to create the art that you need to finish off the final images for the film. But all the new technology that is you know, being created for these films, we're creating, we're designing, we're writing, we're using, we're testing, we're putting it into practice for the first time. Oh, wow. I have one last question that I'd like to ask everyone I've interviewed, mm -hmm. and that is, uh, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know that I have one that's a guilty pleasure. I've got, you know, some that I sort of go back to constantly, but I don't know that I'd call them guilty pleasures because they're pretty good films. Okay, well, what's one of the films that if it's on TV, you'd watch it? Uh, the Prestige. Ah, uh, that's a really good yeah. film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for letting me interview you. Thanks, Gordon. Good talking to you. So that was my interview with Joe. I want to thank Joe for allowing me to interview him and for giving me the time in his busy schedule. Of course, I want to thank Carly for taking the time to cut this episode for us. If you want to get in touch with us, you can get us on Twitter at AOTG Network. You can get us on Facebook.com slash AOTG Network. Or, of course, the old-fashioned way, info at AOTG.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.